You're listening to A Light at the Other Side, where we're sharing stories of resilience, healing, and hope. We share the experiences of adoptees, domestic violence survivors, military veterans, and more, so some episodes may contain potentially triggering accounts of trauma. To fully appreciate the light, we must sometimes peer into the dark. On today's episode, we'll be exploring the complexities and nuance of what we call joy. On joy, you're missing the forest for the trees. A quick internet search will show you dozens upon dozens of books, workshops, videos, apps, all designed to somehow cultivate joy, happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction. We humans have a tendency to overcomplicate things, don't we? Taste buds are a sign that we are designed to experience joy. The natural taste of some foods. Have you ever picked a peach straight off the tree in the summer sun and taken a bite? Warm, super sweet, juicy, running all down your face and hands. Or an ear of corn, locally or homegrown, fresh off the grill with a little butter. Dang, there's no beating it. And our nerve endings. Waking up and feeling my husband cuddle next to me. A sticky, wet kiss from a toddler. An unexpected and rare big bear hug from one of my teenage boys. None of these cost a thing, and they're the most exciting experiences on earth, and I never, ever take them for granted. Many years ago, I would have told you my plan was to not have children, to live alone in a big city, to write, to travel, to live life for me, for my happiness. Having a traumatic childhood makes one yearn for autonomy and control to the point of it becoming a constant daydream. Instead, here I am with a house full of kids, pets, laundry, bills, and responsibility, Hardly a moment is about me, and yet joy abounds. It turns out I find joy in caring for others. I find joy in making a meal for others. I find joy in seeing others smile. I find joy in small moments where a teenager leans their head on me and snuggles with me because I never know when it's going to be the last time. I find joy in celebrating milestones like prom and graduation and also annual celebrations of birthdays and holidays, first day of school, last day of school. I hope to share with my kids the value of slowing down and appreciating these beautiful moments as they happen, because many of them only happen once and are the moments that make up the fabric of many of our memories. The memories should be beautiful. Granted, all those moments of joy means lots of hard work for me. 18-year-old me would never believe the life I have now, and maybe she'd be disappointed. From where she sits, I gave up everything to be just a mother, All the travel and independent lifestyle, the excitement of the world out there, and all there is to see and experience, traded for a life of diapers and crockpots, laundry and balancing the checkbook. How sad, younger me may have thought. And God love her, she's right, of course. We all have to make choices and guide our lives in the directions they will go. And when I got that unexpected second line on the pregnancy test 19 years ago, I was at an intersection in this choose-your-own-ending journey we call life. I looked both ways. I contemplated continuing to live life for myself, meeting my career goals, which at the time were active duty Navy goals and in no way encompassed having a child. And then I contemplated something to which I'd never honestly given much thought, being a mother. Being a mother meant giving up everything I held dear at that moment, my freedom, my autonomy, my body, my money, and not just for a moment or a season, but for the rest of my life. It meant the end of the career I had planned with the Navy. It meant the beginning of a journey where I couldn't see past the bend, and there was always a bend. It meant a life of unpredictability, which meant giving up some measure of control. And then, 
It meant impossibly tiny fingers wrapped around mine, big chocolate brown eyes peering out from behind the longest lashes. It meant the purest love I'd ever known cracking open my heart and fixing all the broken places. It dawned on me that it meant a chance at building a home life I never experienced for myself. It meant the possibility of me creating a legacy and generational love and family like I always envied in other families. It also meant therapy and hard decisions. It meant always reevaluating and re-strategizing and being flexible. It meant mountains upon mountains of hard work, physically and mentally. It has meant turning myself inside out for others time and time again. One day, hopefully many decades from now, I will wake up and my leg won't touch anything but sheets and I will realize again every single morning that I have to somehow do life without my best friend and partner. One day, I'll only get those hugs from my boys when they come home with their partners and kids to visit on holidays and birthdays. One day, my toddler will be a big kid and too busy and her kisses will be neat and dry and brief. The overwhelming joy I have in my life right now makes it so insanely rich and full and messy and loud, and I couldn't possibly love it more. I have found as the mom of a big family that the moments most packed with joy tend to also be packed with overstimulation, mess, and chaos, so we have to dig deep to simultaneously enjoy those moments as they come and to maintain our tenuous grasp on sanity. Joy is free, and it's not. It's a reward for a life well-lived. When you grow up in the very evangelical Christian environment, the idea of joy is a little bit distorted. A lot of things that bring us joy are seen as hedonistic, worldly, secular. A lot of music, a lot of art is just off limits because finding joy in something like that is seen as inappropriate. And the concept of seeking joy for the sake of joy is a little bit frowned upon as well. And now I I have to quantify that I'm not certain that this is the same way every very conservative evangelical person interpreted these concepts, but that's how they were interpreted by my adopters and taught to me. So the concept of Doing things simply because they make you happy is a very thin line to giving into hedonism and opening a doorway for Satan to tempt you through these things that quote unquote cause joy, but could be harmful to you. So I witnessed a lot growing up of extreme sort of self-sacrifice, extreme, um, just prohibition of pretty innocuous, innocent things that cause joy or that bring joy, Um, even down to the food in our house. So there was a very strange and I believe unique aspect of growing up in my home in that my female adopter very obviously had an eating disorder and decided to start Weight Watchers when I was around 12. And her beginning Weight Watchers meant that everyone in the household began Weight Watchers. It, you know, every single food in our house had to have a point value and had to be counted. And we had to be aware of what all those points values were. And it was very intrinsically linked 
to this idea of depriving ourselves of pleasurable things as a way to honor God, because pleasurable things that exist just for the sake of being pleasurable, like good food, is somehow disrespectful to God. And I never, I mean, I obviously, I never understood this. I never understood it. From the time I was a teenager, really a tween, a younger teenager, when I would visit my grandmother, I would cook with her. I would ask her to teach me to cook. I was fascinated with the idea of food and learning to cook good food. I've been through foster homes where the foster kids in the home were given nothing but sandwiches for months on end. The the foster parents had biological kids in the home, but they were and they were given they sat down to dinner every night and had, you know, actual meals and we had sandwiches. And this wasn't just in one foster home. It was in more than one that I can remember. So the idea of good, wholesome, delicious food became a little bit of a fascination to me because I would see it on TV and I would see other people that got that and I got sandwiches. So, which don't get me wrong, as an aside, there was a little bit of nostalgia attached with that in what I would say was the possibly the best foster home that we had where there wasn't much physical discipline. There was a closet under the stairs into which we were put if we had, you know, acted up or something. But aside from that, but they had sandwiches and that's uh, the foster home I was in when I was in kindergarten and I would get off the school bus and come inside and Price is Right would be on the television and I would get a peanut butter and banana sandwich every single day and watch the prices right. And that is one of my more positive memories from foster care. So it's not that I'm entirely opposed to the idea of a sandwich. <laughs> a good sandwich is a good sandwich. But when that's your entire diet is sandwiches every single day, you do become fascinated with, with the idea of real food. And so when we when we got adopted and we moved in with our adopters, it was a little disheartening to see the rigidity around food and the complete lack of a desire to make food really appetizing. Food was essentially just fuel. It was a bare baked chicken breast and some dry rice, like just food for your body. There was nothing desirable about it. When we started visiting my adoptive grandmother, and she's your typical Southern on-to-farm grandma, and I began tasting her food, real food, fried chicken, peach cobbler, like, oh my gosh, actual food. It was like something awoke in me, and I became obsessed with the idea of cooking and cooking delicious food. And I would ask my grandmother to teach me, and she she did up until, unfortunately, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when I was 16. And I went to spend the summer with her, and she tried to teach me a few last things that summer, but it was a bit difficult with the cognitive, you know, decline she was already in at the time. So as soon as I got out of my own, food became um, this real source of joy for me when I didn't have anything else. Like I had a mattress on the floor of my bedroom in the apartment that I shared with someone. And 
with just a mattress on the floor, I went and bought a crock pot. I bought pans and I bought cooking utensils because I wanted to learn to cook for real this time. I wanted to learn to cook. And my first attempts were absolutely hilarious. One of the funniest stories um, and really telling about how, like truly how clueless I was about cooking at all in general was the time that I got my, my brand new crock pot. And I was, I mean, brand new, I got it from a thrift store, but you know, I got my crock pot. I placed some beautiful tomatoes in it. I had washed them and, and taken the stems off and, and arranged them in the crock pot. And I filled it with hot water and I sprinkled some Italian seasoning on there and I, and I turned it on low and I left for work, just whole tomatoes in water with Italian seasoning in it. And I left for work and, and I, I truly expected to come home to spaghetti sauce that those tomatoes would break down and cook and, and become tomato sauce. And of course they did not. I came home and had boiled tomatoes with, with seasoning floating on top of the water. And it just kind of smelled weird and was not at all a tomato sauce. And my roommate thought it was hysterical hysterical. He had never heard of somebody who didn't know how to make a basic tomato sauce. So my culinary adventures through the years have been um, just hilarious at times. So, but I always wanted to learn to cook. And as soon as I got on my own, got out, you know, on my own, of course, the job that most people take when they're in that position is service industry. So I did, I took service industry work and I would but I was still a, a very shy, very shy person and reserved and just young. And I had been very sheltered. So I was completely out of my element in the service industry. If you can picture this 19 year old who was raised in a hyper conservative Christian home being thrust into the service industry, I'm sure I was, I was pretty comical to work with at the time. But I, I would hang out in the kitchen. I would sort of linger in the kitchen, but I was too shy to actually ask, you know, how are you cooking that? How are you doing this? And I worked at the time, I worked lunch shifts at a place called the Sherlock Holmes. It was a pub um, in Columbia. And to this day, one of the coolest places I've ever been in my life, coolest group of people. I really, the, the universe made sure I was in a great place at that time. The Sherlock Holmes was an underground pub, literally from ground level. You had to go downstairs and it was the last operating remnant of underground Columbia. There's actually multiple businesses that are under Main Street of Columbia, South Carolina. And a lot of people don't even know that it's there, but the Sherlock Holmes was the last operating restaurant and it was just the coolest. It was owned by a guy named Chris. He uh, had been a Navy guy. I learned every valuable curse word I know from that man. And then some, and the chef there recognized, I think my little lingering and things as a couple of things. N number one, I would sort of linger when I was hungry, when I didn't have food in my apartment and never failed. He would quote unquote, mess up a plate. So he would wrap it up and set it aside. Well, that's a mess up. So you can have that after your shift. So he always made sure that I was fed. And he also started showing me how to cook. 
and he started showing me little tips and tricks and, and how you do things. And I mean, literally things as simple as how to hold a knife, how to julienne, how to chop, how to safely cut things, how to cut meats. He really taught me a lot in that time period. Uh, and in that super gruff way that, you know, cooks and chefs have where they're not going to be exactly nice to you, but they're going to make sure you're taken care of. And if you want to learn something, as long as you're willing to actually learn, they're going to teach you. So I have a great appreciation and fondness for the service industry after my experiences there in Colombia. But in that pursuit of learning to cook, it was so much more than just feeding myself. It was this joy that I got, this deep, inherent joy from the process of cooking. I mean, I could put on music, put on a podcast, and I can cook a complex meal that takes an hour, hour and a half to make and be completely fine and not feel tired and not, you know, it, it just brings such deep joy for me. And so learning to cook at that early stage of my adult life was something that brought me so much joy. And I could never understand why we were denied that joy in our childhood. Like it's just food. It's food. I mean, everybody has to eat every day, so it might as well be pleasant, right? That was my mentality. Likewise, other things that brought me joy that in my childhood had really been demonized and made to be like more than it was, was like dancing. I was young. <laughs> I didn't yet have back pain. So going out to the clubs and dancing, it didn't have anything to do with finding somebody to hook up with or being sexual at all, which are all the things that I'd been told growing up that if you go out dancing, then this is all sexual activity somehow. The, the movements are sexual. The environment is sexual. And I guess for some people it was. I know for a lot of college guys at the time, they would say, we're going to go to the bar, pick up chicks. Like it was a six pack of women they could pick up. But for me and a lot of my female friends and some of my guy friends, it was just dancing. It was just really liberating and freeing to get in a crowd of people with loud music and just let yourself go a little bit and just let your body move. It was great exercise. Chasing joy became a process of not only finding out what was inherently joyful to me, but dismantling harmful structures that have that had been built around those things, telling me that they were sexual, that they were demonic, that they were hedonistic, that good food is hedonistic. That's absurd. It's positively absurd. Breaking down those barriers took years for me. It really took years to be able to go out and dance without feeling guilty or feeling like I was doing something sinful, to cook a meal that was intensely flavorful and again, not feel like I was doing something hedonistic or wrong. It took a long time. So as I've discussed and spoken with other people who grew up in hyper evangelistic homes, some of that was pretty common, especially, especially the dancing thing, the type of music we listened to, all of it was filtered through this lens of this, version of Christianity that really sucked the joy out of so many things. So when I'm working through 
my religious beliefs and I'm working through the religious beliefs I was raised with versus sort of mainstream Christianity versus where I've sort of landed now, which is more into Buddhism. Part of that was the deconstruction of these concepts of shame, the deep shame that we were constantly, you know, had leveled at us for simply finding little things in life that cause us joy, that bring us joy. I don't think there's anything wrong with finding joy in things in life. In fact, I believe that's part of the journey of life. That's part of the point of life is finding what brings you joy and doing those things in a holistically healthy way. Food brings me so much joy. Does that mean that I can eat French food every day with butter and cream and salt? No, I can't eat like that every day. There's very few people that can eat like that every day, and those have just been gifted with an amazing metabolism. Finding joy in food also means finding ways to enjoy vegetables and whole grains in ways that are tantalizing to the taste buds. So we still have an experience of joy while we're treating our body with respect, with good food. That's another journey all on its own. It's pretty easy when you get into cooking, you'll discover it's pretty easy to imbue a lot of flavor with bacon or with cream or with butter. When you have to look to other sources outside of like very high cholesterol foods and very high sodium foods and very high fat foods, you have to find more creative ways to in, infuse flavor in a healthy way. And to me, that's an exciting learning journey, right? Because learning is something that also brings me joy. I listen to podcasts. I watch documentaries. I'm a nerd through and through and totally proud of it, okay? Because the pursuit of knowledge is something that brings me joy. Reading books. Oh, I was that kid, you know, that always had my nose in a book. Number one, it was a way of escaping the rather nightmarish childhood that I had. And number two, it was just a, a process of constantly learning new things. So everything that brings you joy doesn't have to be hedonistic or unhealthy. The process of learning can bring you joy. Something like learning a new language can bring you joy. Other things can bring you joy that sometimes don't feel so great on the front end, like going to therapy. Going to therapy can be unbelievably painful and awkward in the beginning and, you know, I definitely have quit therapy more than once because I encountered that feeling and it was just too much for me right then. I, I couldn't deal. But as the years progressed and I stick with it and I continue to pursue different therapists at different point, points in my life, there is so much joy to be found after you crack through that outer shell of pain and it's, it's really ripping off a Band-Aid. It truly is. you got to rip off the Band-Aid. You have to get that first session with the therapist out of the way, which for most of us that have been through just really bad shit, your first visit with a therapist can just be like absolute choking sops for the entire hour. And they're like, okay, your time's up. We'll, we'll talk about what that was about next week. Okay. And that's okay. That's okay. Because the end of that journey, after you crack through that pain, after you expose to another human being all of the horrible things that you've been through, the things that you don't want to say out loud, the things you've never said out loud, 
And after you've worked through that with a professional, the joy on the other side is just immense. It truly is immense. It's freeing. It's radical. It is a radical change in your life to step through all of the pain, to step through the shattered pieces of the mask you put up, and to finally step out into the light as your true self and live your authentic life as your true self. Whether that's stepping away from your religion and saying, you know what? I don't believe in Christianity anymore. I'm sorry, I, I don't. Or whether that's stepping out of your closet and saying, hey, I'm gay. Finding that place in your life where you can live in the light is where joy resides. You have to live in the light. You can't be pent up in the darkness and expect to find you know, joy hidden away in the dark. You're going to find glimmers of it but you're not really going to experience the full depth and breadth of joy until you walk through that darkness and push your way through into the light. That's my thoughts on joy. It's a complicated issue. It's a simple little three-letter word, but it is such a complicated issue because so many people throughout their lives are denied basic joy and told to feel shame over basic things that bring us joy. When there's no need to have that kind of shame, there's no need to hide away the part of you that loves cooking or that loves learning or that loves dancing. Just go out and dance, okay? You only have one life. We're only on this ball one go round. We can we can get into theology and spirituality and afterlives and reincarnation, but what we know for sure is what is right in front of us and what we're experiencing right now. What we're experiencing is this life. You deserve joy in this life. You deserve to have joy in the food that nourishes your body. You deserve to have joy in the music that fills your home. You deserve to have joy in the movements of your body. You deserve to have joy in the people that you love and who love you. You deserve to prioritize joy, and prioritizing joy is not hedonistic, okay? It's not hedonistic. It is self-care to prioritize what brings you joy and deprioritize what doesn't. It's been another great episode. I so appreciate you tuning in, and I'll see you next week.